Part One, Chapter Twenty Five of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. At the appointed hour, the prince, powdered and shaved, went to the dining room, where his daughter-in-law, the Princess Maria, and Mademoiselle Bourienne, and the architect were waiting for him. The latter was allowed at the table through an old caprice of the prince though his insignificance of position would naturally have precluded him from being shown such an honour. The prince, who was a great stickler for differences of rank, and rarely admitted to his table even the important functionaries of the province, suddenly selected Mikhail Ivanovitch, who blew his nose in the corner of a checked handkerchief, as a living example of the theory that all men were equal, and more than once assured his daughter that the architect was as good as they were. At the table the prince was very apt to address his conversation mainly to the speechless Mikhail Ivanovitch. In the dining-room, tremendously lofty, like all the rest of the rooms in the mansion, the prince's butlers and serving-men, each standing behind a chair, were waiting his coming. The major-domo, with a napkin over his arm, glanced to see that the table was properly set, beckoned to the waiters, and constantly let his troubled eyes wander from the clock to the door where the prince was expected to enter. Prince Andrei was looking at a huge gilded frame, which he had never before seen, containing a representation of the genealogical tree of the Bolkonskys, which hung opposite a similar frame with a badly executed painting, evidently perpetrated by some domestic artist, and meant to be a portrait of a reigning prince, in a crown, showing that he was descended from Rurik, and was the originator of the house of Bolkonsky. Prince Andrei was studying the genealogical tree, and shaking his head and laughing, as though the portrait struck him as something ludicrous. "'How like him this all is!' he was saying to the Princess Maria, as she came up to him. The Princess Maria looked at her brother in amazement. She could not understand what he could find to amuse him, all that her father did inspired in her a reverence that removed it beyond criticism. "'Every man has his Achilles' heel,' continued Prince Andrei. "'With his tremendous intellect, the idea of going to this absurdity, donnez-donc ce ridicule!' The Princess Maria could not approve of this audacious judgment of her brother's, and was just about to reprove him when the steps which they were awaiting were heard coming from the cabinet. The prince came in briskly even gaily, as was his universal custom, as though he meant by his lively ways to make a contrast with the stern routine of the house. Just at the instant that the great clock struck two, and was answered by a feebler tone of another in the reception-room, the prince made his appearance. He paused. From under his thick, overhanging brows, his keen, flashing, stern eyes surveyed all who were present, and then rested on his son's young wife the young princess instantly experienced that feeling of fear and reverence which this old man inspired in all those around him, a feeling akin to that experienced by courtiers at the coming of the Tsar. He smoothed the princess's head, and then, with a clumsy motion, patted her on the back of the neck. "'I am glad to see you, glad to see you,' said he, and, after looking into her face steadily once more, he turned away and sat down in his place." "'Sit down, sit down. Mikhail Ivanovitch, sit down.' He assigned his daughter-in-law to the place next him, 
the waiter pushed the chair up for her. Ho, ho, said the old man, looking at her critically. Your time is coming. Too bad. He smiled dryly, coldly, disagreeably, with his lips alone, as usual, and not with his eyes. You must walk, walk, as much as possible, as much as possible, said he. The little princess did not hear, and did not wish to hear, his words. She said nothing, and seemed dispirited. The prince asked after her father, and she replied and smiled. He asked about common acquaintances. The princess grew more animated, and began to deliver messages, and tell the prince the gossip of the town. The Countess Apratskina, poor woman, has lost her husband, and quite cried her eyes out, said she, growing still more lively. The livelier she became, the more sternly the prince looked at her, and suddenly, as though he had studied her enough, and had formed a sufficiently clear idea of her mental caliber, he turned abruptly away and began to talk with Mikhail Ivanovitch. Well, now, Mikhaila Ivanovitch, it is going to go hard with our Bonaparte. As Prince Andrei has been telling me, he always spoke of his son in the third person, great forces are collecting against him. But then you and I have always considered him to be a windbag. Mikhail Ivanovitch really did not know when he and the prince had ever said any such thing about Bonaparte, but perceiving that this was necessary as a preliminary for the prince's favorite subject of conversation, looked in surprise at the young prince, and wondered what would be the outcome of it. "'He is great at tactics,' said the old prince to his son, referring to the architect, and again the conversation turned on the war, on Bonaparte, and the generals of the present day, and the great men of the reign." The old prince, it seemed, was persuaded in his own mind that all the men at the head of affairs at the present day were mere schoolboys, who did not know even the ABCs of war and civil administration, and that Bonaparte was an insignificant Frenchman who had been successful simply from the fact that there were no Potemkins or Suvorovs to meet him. But he was persuaded, also, that no political complications, of any account, existed in Europe, that the war did not amount to anything, but was a sort of puppet-show, at which the men of the present day were playing, while pretending to do something great. Prince Andrei took his father's sarcasms at the new men, in good part, and with apparent pleasure led him on, and heard what he had to say. "'The past always seems better than the present,' said the young man. Yet didn't that same Servorov fall into the trap which Moreau laid for him?' fell in, and hadn't the wit to get himself out of it. "'Who told you that? Who told you?' cried the prince. "'Suvorov!' And he flung away his plate, which Tikhon was quick enough to catch. "'Suvorov! Consider, Prince Andrei. Friedrich and Suvorov were a pair. Moryo! Moryo would have been taken prisoner if Suvorov's hands had been free. But he had his hands on a Hofskrieg's Wirtschnapsroth, the devil himself could not have done anything. Now, if you go on, you will find out what these Hofskriegswurzschnapsros are like. Suvorov was no match for them. What chance do you suppose Mikhail Kurtisov will have? No, my dear young friend, he went on to say, there's no chance for you and your generals against Bonaparte. You must needs take Frenchmen, so that birds of a feather may fight together. You have sent the German Phelan to New York, to America, 
after the Frenchman Moreau, said he, referring to the overtures that had been made that same year to Moreau to enter the Russian service. It's marvellous. Were the Potemkins, Suvorovs, Orlovs, Germans, pray? No, brother, either all of you have lost your wits, or I have gone into my second childhood. God give you good luck. But we shall see. Bonaparte, a great general, on their side. Hm. I don't say at all that all our arrangements are wise, returned Prince Andrei. Only I can't understand how you have such a low opinion of Bonaparte. Laugh as much as you please, but Bonaparte is, nevertheless, a great general. Mikhailia Ivanovitch, cried the old prince to the architect, who was giving his attention to the roast, and devoutly hoping that he was quite forgotten. I have told you, have I not, that Bonaparte was a great tactician? And he says so, too. How, your illustriousness, replied the architect. The prince again laughed his chilling laugh. Bonaparte was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His soldiers are excellent. And then, again, he had the good luck to fight with the Germans first. Only a lazy man would fail to whip the Germans. Ever since the world began, the Germans have always been whipped, and they have never whipped anyone. Oh, yes, each other. He made his reputation by fighting them. And the prince began to expatiate on all the blunders that Napoleon, in his opinion, had made in all his wars, and even in his act of administration. His son did not dispute what he said, but it was evident that whatever arguments were employed against him, he was just as little inclined to alter his opinion as the old prince himself. Prince Andrei listened, refraining from engaging in any discussion, and only smiling as he involuntarily wondered how it was possible for this old man, who had lived for so many years like a hermit in the country, to know so thoroughly and accurately all the military and political occurrences that had taken place in Europe during the last years, and was able to form such an opinion of them. "'You think, do you, that I am too old to understand the present state of affairs? Well, this is all there is of it. I can't sleep o' nights. Now, wherein is this general of yours so great? Where has he shown it?' "'It would take too long to tell,' replied the son. "'Well, then, go off to your Bonaparte.' Mademoiselle Bourine, here is another admirer of your clodhopper of an emperor, he cried in excellent French. You know that I am not a Bonapartist, prince. Du c'est quoi il revendra, hummed the prince in his falsetto, and with a smile that was still more falsetto, he got up and left the table. The little princess, during the whole time of the discussion and the rest of the meal, sat in silence, looking in alarm now at her husband's father, now at the Princess Maria. After they left the table, she took her sister-in-law's arm and drew her into the next room. "'How bright your father is,' said she. "'That's probably the reason that he makes me afraid of him.' "'Ah, he is so good,' exclaimed the princess. End of chapter 25